want to see what life is like inside the bottle. Jen's Playground has its own website and Facebook fan page. Go to www.jensplayground.com for more details. What's up, Kilogram? You thought you were going to have to wait until 2012, didn't you? I see how you are. Back-to-back episodes, you must be thinking that you're living in Bizarro World. Green means stop. Red means... Go! Jin's Playground, episode 28, The Second Barrel. With great power comes great hostility. As promised, the Almighty Jin doubles your pleasure and doubles your fun. No waiting, no longing, no bullshit. Instantaneous gratification. Jin's Playground, on demand. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the last episode. You know, doing those Tainted Tens are a lot of fun for me to do. It's just a really cool way to connect with my listeners, and it feels a lot like I'm just shooting the shit with a bunch of cool card-slinging mofos. And speaking of a bunch of cool card-slinging mofos, check out the Jin's Playground Facebook fan page today. Yes, it's pretty easy to detect that this is indeed a shameless plug, but... Whoever said that plugging had to be shameful? You know what, I think we should start a petition to remove the stigma from plugging. What do you say? And we can print up some t-shirts that say, Proud to Plug. <laughs> the ladies love it. Anyway, if you, if you like the show, or if you want to support the show, and uh, you're on Facebook, be sure to join the Jin's Playground Facebook fan page. You know, I post a lot of kick-ass stuff on there, as well as kickstart some community discussions. I, you know, I also do some contests, as well as promotions like the Tainted Ten, you know, to get all of the Playground listeners involved. Let's see, I'm pulling up the page now, and it looks like we have 214 hardcore Playground disciples. I mean, that's just, that's just awesome, guys. It's still pretty hard for me to believe that two people listen to my ass, let alone 200. I mean, if you guys dig on the show, there's no sense in keeping it to yourself. Recommend the fan page to your friends, or hell, just straight up tell them the next time you see them. Dude, go listen to Jin's Playground, you pole smoker. The larger the mosh pit, the better, and don't worry, we'll help you up if you get knocked down. Alright, enough of that business. It's time to let the prophecy unfold. We've got a lot on the plate. We got Innistrad. We got States. We've got the final topic of the Tainted 10 Telethon. We got some huge playground news. Some community calendar. Time to get out the way and let the big dog eat. To kick things off, I think we should sit down by the campfire. Sharpen some steaks. Gaze up at that full moon. And talk about the upcoming set that we know as Innistrad. Oh! Who said I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. You know, after watching Mark Rosewater discuss this set, I gotta say, I, I got a little excited about Innistrad. You know, I'm a huge, huge fan of the horror genre. You know, werewolves, vampires, zombies, mad scientists, ghosts... Man-eating plants from Planet X. I mean, I eat that shit up. 
I can definitely get behind the concept and the flavor of this set. You know, after reading each card, what it does, and looking at the illustrations, you could just tell that the designers spent hours upon hours watching flicks like Creepshow, American Werewolf in London, Dracula, and coming up with ways to translate the horror genre into a, a magic set. From a flavor perspective, I, I think that they outdid themselves. They hit a grand slam. But how did they do from a design perspective? It's going to be really hard to say for certain until we actually sit down and begin building decks and playing with some of these cards. At first blush, I think that they did really well. You know, a lot of people have complained. Um, well, you know, I, I don't want to say the word complain because that's, that's the wrong word. I'll, let's just say that they have shown concern about the transformational mechanic of the flip cards. Stop your worrying and, and play with the set before making any snap judgments. I mean, personally, I think it's a pretty brave little idea, and I like it. I mean, there is a surefire way to piss me off, and that's to go the safe route on anything. Grow some balls, take some risks, and show me what you got. And they did exactly that. This set looks insanely fun to play from a limited perspective, and as far as constructed goes, there are definitely some subtle and not-so-subtle cards that will make an impact. So let's take a look at this set. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go down the line and dissect every single card. I'm just going to pick out a couple from each color that I think has some serious potential, or that, you know, I just find damned amusing. I'm also going to do something new. For each color, I'm going to do something called a first pick, where I talk about a, a common or an uncommon that I might take pretty high in a draft, or value pretty high in sealed. I'm going to use the, the visual spoiler on the mothership, so feel free and follow along with me. That's my way of telling you that I'm going to save some time and probably not going to read what every card does. Starting with White Angelic Overseer. Gorgeous picture, and some are saying that she's the new Bane Slayer. Not even close, but thanks for playing. I will say that she's a huge bomb and limited, and White has access to a lot of great humans to, to power her up, but a Baneslayer? Not so much. Speaking of a great human, Elite Inquisitor comes to mind. You know, double white bears have always been a staple in magic, and the thing is, most of them have been pretty good due to the fact that they have some sweet inherent abilities. And this guy has first strike and vigilance, which is already really good. But then he's got protection from werewolves, vampires, and zombies. God, I love the flavor of this guy. It's like they ripped him right out of the British Hammer horror films. And in context to the set, he, he's like James Bond and Van Helsing rolled into one. Yeah, I, I dig this guy a lot. And he's certainly outclassed right now by a lot of the incumbent creatures. But it's only a matter of time before Inquisitor has a chance to show his quality. Another human that I think could make some constructive waves is Mentor of the Meek. I mean, he's pretty good when you are playing with a bunch of cheap guys like, oh, say, Flare Husk or Mortar Pod. Or maybe even Pure Steel Paladin. Hmm. I think there might be something there. What do you think? And moving on to my first pick out of white is an uncommon that we'll get to know and love. Fiend Hunter. A Faceless Butcher was pretty hot back in the day, and this guy is cheaper. And sure, it's a double white dedication, but I think it's probably worth it. It would be really hard for me to pass it up. 
Now, moving on to blue, here's a card that I think has a lot of flavor. Ludovic's Test Subject. Starts out as a, a cute little ostrich egg, and then it hatches and transforms into the 1313 trampling Godzilla, Ludovic's Abomination. <laughs> they, they should rename this card Ludovic's Removal Magnet. And what can we really say about Snapcaster Mage? It seems like everyone has an opinion about just how good or bad this guy is going to be. And personally speaking, I think that he's going to be pretty insane and constructed. And the Phyrexian mana spells are a clear reason to use this guy. And being able to rebuy like a Mana Leak or a Doomblade seems particularly tasty. But its use is when it comes to like sorceries, like Rampant Growth, Timely Reinforcements, and Ponder are also pretty disgusting too. And it looks like I'm not the only one who thinks this, as its price coming out of the pack is like $6,300, and that's just for one. He's gonna see a boatload of play in a lot of older formats, and he shouldn't be too terrible in standard. Not a bad little card. Now my first pick out of blue is an uncommon called Civilized Scholar. You know, I've always loved looters, and, and this one can transform into a 5-1 homicidal brute beat stick. I mean, optional attacker or a looter. This guy gives you options. And I love me some options. I would pick this card pretty high. Alright, next stop is black. How can you look at Army of the Damned and not do a double take? I mean, first of all, it's a badass picture. Straight up, old school, George A. Romero, zombies crashing into a wall trying to get at you. Now, I mean, it's an expensive spell. I mean, it's five and three black. And it's a sorcery. And it reads, put 13 2-2 black zombie tokens onto the battlefield tapped. Please, just go ahead and do that. Go ahead. Help yourself out. Just go ahead and put 26 points of damage coming at you from 13 different angles. Why not, right? Might as well. And for two more mana, it has a flashback cost. Just in case you didn't get your point across the first time. <laughs> That's awesome. And Liliana of the Veil... Ooh. Damn, girl. Who says this is a game for kids? The artwork on this card is... Well... Let's just say it. Sexy as hell. Plus one for each player to pitch a card, which seems fine, especially for this particular set. Negative two for target player to sacrifice a creature. I mean, this is definitely their way of trying to protect her. I mean, but at worst, you have a, a Diabolic Edict that costs you one colors and two black. That's at her worst. And her grand finale, separate a player's permanence into two piles. That player sacrifices the pile of their choice. Johnny, I want a divorce. I want half. Make no mistake about it. Liliana is going to get her half. Now, my first pick out of black is the uncommon Morkrit Banshee. Yet another tasty little witch. I can see a lot of tricks with her, especially bluffs. I mean, let's say you're playing against someone with swamps. You have a couple of big creatures out, and they make what looks to be a terrible attack. It might not be as terrible as you think. If you make a block and kill their attacker, and Banshee comes down to take out just about anything that you have on the board. I think that this is a nice little pickup. We find ourselves seeing red with Cruin Outlaw. Looks a little spicy. I mean, for three mana, you're already getting decent value for a 2-2 first striker. But when she transforms, you get a 3-3 double striker that can't be blocked by two or more creatures. 
I mean, by herself, she's already pretty hot. And if you have additional werewolves already in play, it's probably game over. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this one will probably see Construct in play. I mean, it's a daring prediction, but hey, I'm a daring guy. Speaking of constructed playable, Stromkirk Noble is right there. There's no more Goblin Guide, thank the makers, but this guy could prove to be just as good if not better. This guy out of the gate is probably always going to get in there for one and, and become a 2-2, two -two. and what red player doesn't like 2-2 two -two creatures for one red? If and when he gets any bigger after that, it's just a pure bonus. Almost everything you could want in a red one-drop. And my first pick out of red is probably going to be Rolling Tremblor. I really like cards that can give me the potential for like a, a, a 2 or 3 for 1. I've always had a ball with Pyroclasm. Why not keep the party going? Alright, getting into green, do I really need to say that Garrick Relentless is going to be insane? I mean, you guys probably already know that he's going to be nutty, although I think he might actually take a backseat to the bigger M12 Garrick. I mean, the new Flip Garrick will, will see Constructed play. I mean, he has a million good abilities, and I can't imagine people not playing with him. He'll definitely find a home somewhere, and soon. So let's move into some other green cards that might be hanging under the shadow of Garrick's awesomeness. Kessig's Cage Breakers seems really good to me as, like, a, a solid late-game finisher. I mean, you got a 3-4 home slice that brings with him a 2-2 for every dude in the yard on the attack, this guy seems like a solid limited card, and he's splashable. And why not sack a Solemn Simulacrum to Birthing Pod at end of turn and bring the Breakers? I can get behind the Cage Breakers. And an uncommon that I think will see its fair share of constructed play is Bramble Crush. I mean, we played with Creeping Mold back in the day. Most of the time, Mold killed what we wanted it to. Now we have a card that can straight up deal with every Planeswalker out there. I mean, this card is strictly better than Creeping Mold. Plus, who knows? Maybe there's a, a, a mono-green land destruction deck in the making here. I mean, four Beast Within, four Bramble Crush, four Acidic Slime. Well, probably not, but eh, maybe something's there. And my first pick is actually a common. Ambush Viper. I mean, you got a two-casting-cost bear that has Flash and Death Touch. I mean, this guy is the business. I mean, I love affordable flash creatures to begin with. I mean, this guy can get in there for two, and you can use him for sneaky ninja removal in a pinch. You will definitely have to rethink limited strategy. I mean, in almost all cases in the past, you'd think that attacking when your opponent has two green up to be, you know, a relatively safe play. But there might be a snake lurking there now. I'll draft these guys all day long. Checking out the gold cards, I love the art on Olivia Voldaren. And the card itself is just badassery. The flavor of this card is just so robust. And chances are, if you let Olivia have an untapped step, you've probably just had it. She's just going to keep getting bigger, keep swinging, and eventually she'll just take all of your shit. Definitely a removal magnet, but one hell of a card if you can get her online. In artifacts, not many of my teammates like this card, but I really like Manor Gargoyle. It's another card with tremendous flavor. Yeah, sure, it can be dismembered, but to have an indestructible 4-4 in play can't be a bad thing, and for one mana you can fly over and slap some ass when the time is right. I like it. And the lands, you know what? All of them, all of them are gorgeous. And all of them are going to have their place in Constructed, you know? I mean, 
you should probably try and get them all. Dual lands, they just, they, they enable you to play the good decks as well as give you a solid foundation for deck construction. You should probably just go ahead and get four of each. You know what, overall, I'm really excited about this set. The overall value of the set is reasonable, the artwork's insane, the thematic elements of the horror genre really come through in every card, and bottom line, it looks like a lot of fun to play. Isn't that the most important thing? So recently I got an email from a teammate telling me to immediately read this new article that Wizards put up, and it was the introduction of a little thing called Planeswalker Points. And the moment I read the words Planeswalker Points, I almost closed the browser. You know, my immediate thoughts were that this was going to be some silly WPN promotional program. Like Pepsi Rewards, where you got, like, points for every pack that you open, and you have to submit some kind of code through your iPhone to see if you won, like, a free 20-sided dice or something lame like that. But then I read a little further, and it turned out that these points were going to replace the current ELO rating system that was currently in place. I stopped reading, and I immediately did a little happy dance. I was just so thrilled that they were going to do away with this old and busted system that they were using. Now, I've done previous podcasts on this topic. I was and still am very against that old rating system for Magic, mainly due to the fact that it didn't truly mean anything or, or, or offer any clear indication of one skill. It was just a number that showed how hot or cold some people were running. And looking at my own ratings over the course of time, I realized that it was just one big roller coaster. You know, ups and downs, peaks and valleys, years of this. And you know what that taught us? You win some and you lose some. No shit, you say. Thanks for the hot tip, you jackasses. So after doing my little happy dance, I, I sit down and begin reading. I was so elated. I was just so happy that the actual name, Planeswalker's Points, didn't even bother me. I mean, normally I'd want to punch someone in the mouth after being forced to say Planeswalker Points, but I was too happy to let it get to me. So I sat down and I cranked through the entire thing. Over the course of maybe 20-30 minutes of trying to wrap my head around what was going on here, that happy feeling took a turn for the worse. That's not to say that this is a, a bad thing all around, because this new system that's in place, just like the last system, will benefit some and hurt others. Now I'm not going to bore you with all of the equations and the fine print. Smarter people than myself are running the numbers to find out if this will positively or negatively impact our, our gaming community at large. And truth be told, I, I don't think anyone truly knows if this is a good thing uh, for the long term. But here's what I do know. Lifetime points are a bad joke. They're just, it's just a bad, bad joke. I got really excited about the idea that longevity would be rewarded and these lifetime points would count for something. I mean, I'm a level 42 battle mage, halfway to 43, and I've had the same DCI number for over 16 years. I mean, maybe they were going to throw me a bone here for being a loyal player for this long. Yeah, they threw me something, all right. A deep-fried serving of squadoosh. It doesn't make a difference if you're a level 1 squirrel turd or a level 50 king shit. The points don't mean a thing. I mean, it pisses me off because they use these lifetime points and levels as the main hook in the subject line of the introduction article for Planeswalker's Points. The title of that article was Introducing Planeswalker Points. What level are you? You know, it gets you excited to find out what level you are, and then when you find out, and you ask the next few logical questions, like, 
Sweet, I'm level 42. That's great. Now what? Why should I care? Now, I don't say this with any intentions of self-entitlement, but what I am saying is either make these lifetime points and levels count for something, or please just don't, don't have them at all. Period. Personally, I think it's only going to be a matter of time before Wizards gets a little annoyed at everyone calling these lifetime points and levels meaningless. And maybe, hopefully, they'll eventually be prompted to do something about it. I really hope that's the case. But as it stands right now, yeah, there's nothing tangible there at all. Nothing. One of the problems I had with the previous system was that it didn't rate who the best players were. And sadly, nothing really changed with this new system. It's not a system that is really designed to show who the top guns are. If you're to go to these leaderboards and look, you won't see who the best players are. All you'll see are the folks who play the most. That's true, some of the best players that we know are on these leaderboards. But some of the best players are not. Here's just one fundamental concern I have. I've got this buddy who, who comes out and plays Magic every once in a while. This guy is probably one of the most critical thinkers I know. Smarter than me, and definitely a lot more talented at Magic than me. But because I play more than him, this system places me higher than him. Quantity now somehow outweighs quality, at least in the eyes of Wizards. It is a system that rewards people to play as often as they can, whenever they can, and twice on Sundays. In theory, if you play a lot, and I do mean a lot, you'll become one of the better players. But what if you're like my buddy, who has a wife and kids, a life outside of Magic, and just happens to be really, really talented at the game of Magic? I'll tell you what. He is a part of a sad demographic that had a good rating that could give him a couple of buys when a Grand Prix came along. Those people will lose out to Watsi's interests. And ultimately, those players will probably just say goodbye to the game. Wizards doesn't want players like that anyway. They want quantity, not quality. And you know, from a business perspective, it kind of makes sense, right? Now, if I owned a gaming business, why would I ever want people not playing my game? I would not only want to reward people for playing my game, but reward them for playing all of the time. And this is what Wizards has done. The last rating system forced some players to sit on the sidelines to protect their ratings, and Wizards hated that. I mean, I can't blame them. But they're going to definitely lose a good amount of players who just can't justify putting in the kind of time that this system is designed to reward. Now, this new system also supposedly doesn't punish you if you lose. I have a fundamental problem with any system that tries to tell me that there are no losers, only winners. You know, I got this fed to me at my kid's award ceremony at her school this year. Now, my daughter's name was called. She walked up and they announced that she won four awards, including honor roll, academic excellence, perfect attendance, and a leadership award. Now, my heart just melted with pride. But I began to notice something. All of the kids were getting awards. What? Are all of her classmates just that awesome? Now, after a few minutes into the ceremony, I was able to detect what was going on here. When you had the high-level students, and the students who, for lack of a better term, shit the bed. The students who kicked ass and got insane grades got some of the same awards as my daughter, but all the other students who fell into the grand pool of mediocrity, those students got an award called Special Achievement. Yeah, they were special, all right. If everyone is a winner and everyone gets an award, 
Doesn't that send the wrong message? That being average is a good thing? So right off the bat, I thought that Wizards was buying into that everyone gets a blue ribbon just for trying bullshit. That there are no losers, only winners! But I realized that in this new system, when you lose, you really are kind of losing points in a way. Points grinding is essentially just a, a big race to get the most points in a season. When you lose a match, you are falling behind in that race. Someone is gaining points, and you are not. You are going to see a ton of people staying until the very end of these tournaments, grinding out Planeswalker points. I mean, it's gotta suck to get like a, a shitty sealed deck at a PTQ, knowing that you have to plow through 8-9 rounds with a 40-card turd, trying to grind out these points. Anyway, bottom line on this new system, these points are really only going to matter to certain people. If you didn't worry about your rating before, then you probably have nothing to worry about now. My advice to you is just ignore these numbers and play like you know how. If you simply focus on playing well, the rest is going to take care of itself. Just play magic and see where it takes you. All right now, for you boppers out there in the big city, all you street people with an ear for the action, I've been asked to relay a request from the Denver Magic players. It's a special for the Colorado Springs players, that real live bunch from down south. And I do mean the Colorado Springs players. Here's a hit with them in mind. You know what time it is. It's time for the 2011 State Championships. This is possibly my favorite tournament of the year for several reasons. The first reason is the most obvious one. The players get to determine the metagame of the format, not the pros. Now, the pros are sure going to try to determine the metagame for the players. You're going to see articles online that will try to get you to play their creations with the hope that come the following week when they see all of those states' deck lists pour in, they'll see their brews. And then they get to say, Woohoo! I told you so, I told you so. There's also going to be two Star City Games open tournaments between now and states that will have results coming in with glimpses of what successful new standard decks look like. My take on this is, it's the state championships, play what you want. This is your time to brew and a time for you to make a name for yourself. The pros, you know what, they already have their names, and playing their decks doesn't make your name any bigger. This is your tournament. You guys should do what you want to do. Brew it up. Give it your best shot. Now, the other reason I love this tournament is due to the fact that year-round, all the other tournaments we play in, we're competing for ourselves. We do a little bit of that in states, too, but with PTQs and regionals, Grand Prix, you know, these events are open for anyone to just waltz in and claim whatever prize is up for grabs. You know, most of the time, at least here in Colorado, uh, we, we all have a certain degree of respect for one another, and everyone kind of understands what's at stake. But at States, for one day only, the borders for Colorado close. It's North versus South, a fight that pits brother against brother. The conflict is in-house, and we keep it within the family. And something else kind of interesting happens. Regional tribes form. You got the guys from the Colorado Springs gang coming up in carloads to try and take the title back home with them. You have the Granola Boys from Boulder rallying together to try and take the belt home. 
Same goes for a contingent from Fort Collins. The Denver players, you know, they have the numbers right now. And most importantly, we've got the title. Teammate and friend Michael Sven is the reigning state champion, and all I can tell you is that he does not want to give it up. And the Denver players would much rather have him win it again than to lose the title to some rival town. Now, I've been told that states really isn't this way in other states, but this, this is what the state championship is all about in the Mile High City. Now, the big question is, what the hell should you play? Now, a good start would be to take a look back at the results from Pro Tour Nagoya, which was Scars Block. If those decks are any indication of what you might see, then that means you're going to run into a lot of Tempered Steel, a lot of Pure Steel Paladin, a healthy dose of Tezzeret decks, some Kuldatha Red, and some Big Red decks packing Koth. I'd first look to see if these decks could be improved upon with M12 and Innistrad. I would also take a very close look at Birthing Pod. There were some Birthing Pod decks in Nagoya, and there is already a small but strong group of players that are playing Pod prior to the rotation. New cards from Innistrad that really shine in Birthing Pod are cards like Scab Ruinator, uh, Fiend Hunter, and Morkrut Banshee. All the while M12 gives it value cards like Solemn Simulacrum and Titans. Although, you know what? It's really anyone's guess what people will do. That's what makes this tournament so damn cool. Saturday, October 15th, you guys have one hell of a head start. You know what cards are available. You know what's at stake. Now there's nothing to it but to do it. Plaque or nothing, baby. So as promised, there is one more topic from the Taina 10 Telethon that I, I deliberately put off until this episode. It comes from Channel Fireball columnist, teammate, and good friend, Brian Gruy. He says, Donation made, I would like you to talk about what magic means to you. <sighs> Thanks a lot, man. You know, perhaps we can go over the meaning of life while we're at it. Or discuss political ideologies, you know, which, which ones I agree with and why. I'll get you back for this one, man. The meaning of magic has changed several times throughout the last 16 years for me. You know, at first it didn't mean anything to me, or, or at least as much as any other game could mean to somebody. I mean, what does Monopoly mean to you? Or Checkers? Magic meant about as much to me as it did those other games. You know, and let's be honest, I mean, watching it being played looks a little absurd and not very exciting. You know, on the surface, you put these little cards on the table and then you turn them sideways. And on top of that, it looked kind of gimmicky. I mean, here you have this game where you make decks, and the way you go about making your deck better was to buy more packs so that you could add new cards to your deck. But I drank the Kool-Aid, and shortly afterwards, the game's meaning changed. I fell in love with the idea of creating something that was unique and special to just you. I mean, that was your deck. You created it. Magic was was at its purest. I mean, there was no Star City Games. You know, there was no Channel Fireball. There wasn't a Pro Tour, a Grand Prix, or a Nationals. Held. I mean, the internet didn't even really have a pulse. We played the game just to play it. Everyone was open to suggestion and couldn't wait to open that next pack just to see what they'd get. You know, hoping to get cards that they could add to their decks. A couple of my best friends at the time, uh, they, they were playing this game, and they wanted to teach me not only how to play it, but how to build decks and look for themes. I mean, and we would play on kitchen tables, on bedroom floors, late night at Denny's, and, and the local card shops. Magic transitioned from just a game I knew how to play 
into a social activity, you know, an excuse to go out and get together with friends. Nobody really kept track of the score, and none of us really knew what we were doing, nor did we really care. We just wanted to do it. I really wished that that period in time lasted a little longer. But magic soon became something of a competition, and as a result, I think that magic's cherry kind of got popped. The age of innocence and exploration was over. With the invention of the Pro Tour, players became a bit more focused and a bit more cutthroat. I mean, the race was on to see how tuned and competitive one could make their deck. You know, after playing in my first tournament, I was hooked. I mean, it was, it was a new kind of challenge for me. You know, I was an only child, and I didn't have any siblings to really compete with, nor did I really understand how to compete. So naturally, I found myself kind of competing with everyone just to try and learn how to compete. Magic's meaning changed again in that I I found a way to exercise my competitive legs as well as keep my mind sharp. After a couple of years of tournament competition, Magic's meaning changed yet again. I found myself on a competitive local Magic team. And we came to the logical conclusion that two heads were better than one. And eight heads were even better. Magic's previous meanings conjoined. You know, I had a game I enjoyed playing... The social aspect and the competitive nature of the game fused together along with something that I hadn't expected. A true feeling of camaraderie. Being on a team meant a great deal to me. There was a a, a level of acceptance and belonging there. A sense that you have this group of friends that that had your back, you know, that they were rooting for you to succeed. I think that during this time, magic served more as like a, a backdrop. The real story here were the friends that I'd made and the confidence I gained from being around these knuckleheads all the time. You know, a few years back, not not so long ago, my interest in the game died. Affinity was everywhere. Watsy let it stick around for far too long without banning anything, and as a result, even the game's most loyal players had it, they just had enough. And I won't throw all of the blame for quitting the game on Watsy, because many of the, the friends that I'd had who were a part of that original team bowed out as well. It all came tumbling down. You know, teammates moved to different states, online gaming took hold of others, myself included, and others just didn't want anything to do with it anymore. For me, it was, uh, you know, it was a bit heartbreaking. The, the party was over. After a while, I, uh, I picked up the game again. Uh, I picked it back up in Time Spiral. And you know, now that I think about it, had that been any other set, I might not have come back. All that was left of Affinity had washed away, and because Time Spiral was a bit of a throwback to the cards that I, I once played with back in the day, it felt like I could pick up the game again with a fresh start. Although it was a bit of a, a, a lonesome era. I went to a lot of tournaments by myself. I felt like a sad fool at times, like I was holding a candle hoping that some of my friends and teammates might see that light and come back home. Magic then meant shifting back towards a focus on the competitive. I mean, what else was there for me to do? So I picked up some cards and did a lot of reading and playing in the local Magic scene. I kind of had to reinvent who I was in my local gaming community, and I kind of had to accept the fact that those amazing days of testing with Team Luscious Nectar were gone, and I had to do something on my own. Magic, at that period of time, meant redemption. 
know, taking something that I've known for years and challenging myself to do something that I've never done before. It was at my best that I grinded out the city championships every weekend and went on to win the regional title here in Denver. During this time, one by one, my teammates found their way back home and picked up the game again. You know, maybe, maybe they saw what I was trying to do and got inspired to make a run at it themselves. Or, you know, maybe they just got bored. Who knows? Who cares? All I knew is that they were most welcome. Now fast forward to the present day, and we all still play Magic. You know, maybe not as much as we used to, because God knows we're all busy as hell. You know, most of us have wives, kids, the full-time job. And my team seems to have expanded to what feels like the entire gaming community, inside of Colorado and beyond. You know, I might not actively test with everyone in that community, but I know each of their names. I care about how each of them are doing. I sit alongside them, birding them, with the hopes that they might make the right play. You know, I, <laughs> I shake my head and smile when one of our own wins that big tournament, thinking about that euphoric feeling that they're having and knowing that this very experience will stay with them for the rest of their lives. So to answer your question, Brian, magic to me means being a part of something. Uh, a, a tightly knit band of brothers and sisters who forego the whole concept of social acceptance to play a fun game that we love. You enjoy playing some magic? Well, hey, that's good enough for us. Welcome to the family. And not everyone is going to get it. I mean, maybe they weren't meant to get it. I mean, if they just see a bunch of geeks sitting around a table turning cards sideways, then whose problem is that really? Those people have to look with better eyes. And if they made that effort, they would see what I see. Some friends sitting around a table, having a blast, playing a great game. You know, they're shouting, laughing, people smiling, people locked in concentration, people high-fiving one another, people shaking hands, people flipping other people off. Okay, that's, that's probably just me. We've successfully created our own unique subculture where a table at a pro tour, uh, or, or a simple gaming store, or, or a kitchen table acts as a, a second home to us with friends there waiting to roll the dice to see who goes first. Alright, it's time for a little playground news and community calendar brought to you by the one and only ginsplayground.com. You know what, let's just go ahead and get the big news out of the way first. Wouldn't you know it, the meaning of magic is about to change for me yet again. You know, I always said if I could make a living hanging out and bullshitting with magic players, I would do it in a heartbeat. Along with a couple of partners of mine, I am going to be making Jin's Playground something a bit bigger than just this podcast that you're listening to. We are going to be throwing our hat in the ring and making Jin's Playground a full-blown business and brand outside of our lovely little eBay store. We are going to be starting out as an online card store where you'll be able to buy singles and sell us your cards. Shortly after that, we're going to be making our way to the brick-and-mortar world to run tournaments and treat the local magic community right... And then shortly after that, we hope to be traveling all around the United States to vendor at all of the North American Grand Prix. And then shortly after that, world domination. Now, does this mean that I'm going to stop doing these podcasts that you know and love? No, sir. On the contrary, it is our hope that the more successful our venture is, the more time I'm going to actually have to make these podcasts for you guys. Now, the website's definitely going to have cards for you to buy at competitive prices, but there's going to be a lot of other cool things for you to do while you're there. The first being is that there's going to be a comprehensive community events calendar for everyone to check out. 
I mean, the new rating systems, you know, they, it wants non-stop playing, and the people need to know what kind of events are going on and when. And I will be the one to shed that light for you. Now, of course, there's going to be that tab where you'll be able to check out the podcast, and who doesn't want to see me do a draft video or two? Or three. We'll be looking at eventually getting some writers on board. I mean, this website is the kind of website that I would want to go to. We are really excited to be doing this, and it's my hope that all of you will one day give us a chance and let us be your source for magic cards in the future. Now, we're not quite there yet, but we are inching closer and closer to launching. Go to jinsplayground.com and bookmark us. Check back often, and when we do open those doors, believe me, you will be the first to know. All right, time for some local community calendar. Let's do this. October 15th, 2011, the 2011 State Championships. It's going to be held at Colorado's favorite venue, the American Inn, near I-70 in Kipling. Format's going to be standard, post-Innistrad standard. Cost is going to be $25. Registration begins at 9 a.m., play begins at 10 a.m. You better come strong to this event. It's time to crown a champ. And we have not one, but two Pro Tour qualifiers for Honolulu. The first one's going to be on November 5th, 2011, and the second one is going to be on December 3rd, 2011. Both of those are going to be held at the Ramada Inn, 2601 Zunai Street. Format's going to be Innistrad Sealed with a top 8 draft. Cost is 30 bucks. Registration begins at 9 a.m., play begins at 10 a.m. I mean, who doesn't want to go to Hawaii? Mai Tais, Luau's, and... Magic? Ah, okay. Not one, but two shots to win your ticket to the beautiful Hawaiian Islands, as well as lock up your seat to the Pro Tour. These tournaments are going to be huge. Be there, or I'll make you eat some poi. You won't like it. Trust me. It's the kind, brah. Well, it's time to wrap this sucker up. Hopefully you enjoyed both of these episodes as much as I enjoyed making them. Time for a couple of shout-outs. A shout goes out to Rick Chong, who donated five bucks and yet didn't provide a topic for the Tainted Ten Telethon. You gotta follow the rules, man. Oh, well. I appreciate the donation anyway. Cheers, brother. A shout goes out to the channel AMC for having the Titanium Nuts to air the show The Walking Dead. You are 100% metal in my book. And one last shout out goes out to my beautiful and incredibly understanding wife who has stood by and supported my passion for this game since the very beginning. I don't think you've ever listened to a single one of my podcasts, but, uh, you ever get around to it i just wanted you to know you are amazing well that about does it boys and girls time to put the cork on the bottle once again and don't you worry none it won't be as long in between podcasts there's just too much fun shit to talk about and you guys are just too good of listeners this is the gen signing off saying you people sit tight hold the fort and keep the home fires burning if we're not back by dawn, call the president. Peace!